0: using real estate as part of your financial plan is it a good idea how do you do it we'll answer that question and more on this episode of through the pines welcome to a financial planning podcast with a down-to-earth vibe sasquatch listens while trick-or-treating the wealthy neighborhoods this is through the pines let's introduce our financial wizards in this episode we have a plethora so we'll bring everybody in here including Peyton, who is new to us this week so uh, we'll start with Rex Baxter in the corner. Baxter, uh, go ahead and give away your contact information for your group. Please. Oh,
1: planwithbaxter.com. Plan you Tough can website. go to planwithbaxter at ampf.com if you want to shoot us an email. So love to hear from you all.
0: Yep. Below Rex here in the four square is Brandon, my my like okay. name here. Yeah. With the Y Brandon with the Y and then we have Dan here on the other side and then we'll bring Peyton in Peyton you're our our real estate professional for this particular episode Uh, would like to encourage everyone to check out our Facebook page we have a Through the Pines Facebook page we also have an Instagram at Pines Podcast and we have a YouTube channel so thanks uh, to those of you who are watching us on the YouTube you get a few more subscribers. We just started the channel. I think we're at a fat 30 right now. So looking to get 31. That could be you. <laughs> it could be you subscribe to our YouTube channel at through the pines podcast on YouTube. All right. Real estate as part of your financial plan. Is it a good idea to include real estate in your long-term financial plan? Uh, Rex, you are the financial planner. Um, what like hero here? I mean, I don't know what you, you know what you want to call yourself. <laughs> sure, uh, <laughs>
1: let's, let's go with that. Let's, let's go, go. Let's, with let's go. To the
0: hero here. <laughs> um, you know, let's before we jump to, to Payton, let's let's figure, like what are your what's your experience with real estate as as a financial included in long term financial plans? I know. I think you've seen most of your wealthier clients have a real estate some in somewhat in their portfolio. So, what are your thoughts on real estate in a long-term financial plan?
1: Well, before I get to that, first off, thank you once again for having me and our group on on your podcast, and and Peyton, welcome. We love having you on board, and uh, especially to be, you know, have have such a professional guest and and successful guest on our show. So, thank you. Thank you. I think I think before I get into real estate too much, I just want to reiterate something that I've said on on a lot of other of our podcasts. But the the wealthiest clients, the wealthiest people that we know, are typically involved in in three areas of of life of investing. Um, the first being in the in the equity markets, and so the stock market, uh, stock and bond markets, the financial markets. The second is most of them own. Um, one or more profitable businesses. And the third is ownership in real estate, equity ownership in real estate, whether that be rental properties, uh, multifamily properties, um, commercial properties, things like that. And so, you know, successful people typically are involved in one, sometimes two. Extremely successful people are most frequently involved in all three of those different areas. And so we thought it'd be. Um, interesting to kind of dig into. We've, we've spent a lot of time on the last 20 plus podcasts on the financial markets. And so we thought it'd be fun to bring Peyton on and, and talk a little bit about the real estate markets. And so it'll be interesting to get his, his opinions on that. I, the, the other thing I want to I mention again is that the most successful people that we see typically have built their wealth, not only through those three, but lots of times it's through concentration. And, and concentration, again, as a reminder, is the number one builder of wealth and the number one destroyer of wealth. Meaning that if you look at somebody that's a, that's a real estate mogul and has you know, really made it in, in real estate and that's created their entire net worth, when we, when we get an e- enormous market crash, those people that are highly levered in the real estate market, it may destroy their entire net worth. And same thing with the financial markets. Those people that you know have all of their their net worth tied up in in one stock, in one public company, um, or private company, and all of a sudden that part of the market takes takes a nosedive, or something happens in that company with their sales, and all of a sudden their entire net worth is destroyed. And so that's why we say that you know concentration can create and destroy wealth. Diversification protects wealth. And so that's that's why we want to talk about real estate because real estate can be a very important diversifier in a financial portfolio.
0: So, Rex, if you're, if you're heavy in one of those three, what's the percentage of the other two?
1: If you're heavy in one of those three, uh, and ultimately we'd like it a third, a third, a third, right? Okay. In, yeah, fair, in a perfect fair. world. But I think anytime you start to get a number of different measures. Once you start to get over 20% of your net worth in one asset, so one individual stock, one piece of real estate, one individual business, then then that starts to be considered uh, fairly concentrated. And so that's that's a number that we want to pay attention to a little bit.
0: Okay. So let's talk about real estate uh, paid in uh what what's the real estate market doing right now uh, when can you buy real estate when's the best time to buy real estate and and let's talk a little bit about investment properties so let's switch
2: to you awesome thank you Brandon and Rex that was an awesome uh intro and and going over the the three uh buckets of uh investments that you should have i'm super heavy in the the real estate side and I need to work on the, the equity markets really. I and I have some businesses as well. So I definitely need to kind of shift that and mix that up a little bit. But real estate is like a huge passion of mine. I've seen just massive amounts of wealth be built through through real estate, especially over the past few years. It's been unreal to watch just this market. And 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 everybody's aware, like the appreciation that we've seen. Um I interesting story i had clients this year they bought i helped them buy this house 2 years ago they just sold it it's been about 6 months ago but they made a million dollars on that house in a matter of 2 years so just unreal amounts of wealth that that's being created but again it it depends on like there's a lot of market timing and conditions that go on in there but yeah real estate is is an, is an amazing tool that we'll go over today on, on building wealth and, and upping your net, net worth.
0: Payton, what's the difference between using real estate as it's like your personal property and, and waiting for that wealth to accumulate versus buying investment properties?
2: So I, I like to look at it and like, look at it together. Like I got into real estate in my twenties, so I've helped a lot of friends and even myself, like, when I got into it, the first house I bought, we called it a house hack where I lived in the basement and I rented out the upstairs and it actually covered the full mortgage payment. Um, I remember the payment was $933 and I rented it out for 900, dollars with the first tenant. And then the second tenant we got in there, it was nine fifty, and it was covering everything. So I like to combine them depending on where you're at in your journey. Some people are later on in life where, um, they're not, you know, looking to house hack or rent out a basement or something like that and and there's huge opportunity there. like we just recently bought an office building, a commercial building, and we did the traditional you know put I think that one we put it was commercial, so we were able to put like fifteen percent down, and that property's doing well so. It's it's a it's an amazing amazing avenue, but depending on where you're at on in your journey, there's definitely different approaches you can take. Whether you're beginning and you're younger and and wanting to, like house hack and and turn properties into rental properties, or if you're later on and just looking to pick up rental properties one at a time. So
3: can I ask you, Peyton? I know right now talking to clients and 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 just talking to people in general for younger, you know younger kids that haven't gotten into real estate yet haven't bought a house obviously prices you know have have gone up substantially in addition to that you know interest rates are making things even harder to get approved for do you have you seen that work like the house hacking type ideology does that still work is it and and if so how do you set that up right is it you look for a house that you can rent out one side and and then does the financing work differently or, or, or how are you seeing success in that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Huge success, actually. So we've had multiple clients that we've helped out this year um, be able to we call it house hacking. So uh, let's say you just got married. You're looking to buy your first house. The best part about this is when you're buying an owner occupied house. Um, the down payment to get into that is zero to like five percent, versus if you're an investor like like me right now, and I'm not going to live in it or own or occupy it, I'm going to need to put down fifteen to twenty five percent down to pick up an investment property. So when you're younger, and if you can like live in the house and and be thinking that you're going to turn it into a rental down the road or house hack it and like rent out part of it, you can get into these properties with minimal down payment. Um, which is huge. So like all my younger clients, I'm like, look, if you can just buy a property or two when you're starting out and you don't sell it, you, you buy one, you rent out part of it, the basement. Um, I have clients that are doing Airbnbs on part, like the, the basement part. And then when you are wanting to get into the next property, you keep that one as a rental and, and then you're on to the next one and you didn't have to put down such a large amount. So I've had clients um, this year. It, it is getting harder with the interest rates, um, but we're starting to see the prices go down like it's shifting from seller's market like it was last year where buyers could barely get into a house and they had to offer their their first child to, to make it work. <laughs> To now, sellers are a lot more workable. They're like, hey, we'll drop the price. um, We'll offer closing costs. We'll buy down your interest rate. So we are seeing that shift. And you just have to get creative. I've had multiple clients this year. Instead of renting out their basement to like long-term tenants, they're doing Airbnbs in their basements. And it's actually covering the full mortgage. Mm -hmm. I've been shocked. Yeah.
3: Do they need to get approved for the full mortgage to do that? Or or and then the and then the Airbnb just kind of comes separately. They can kind of plan on it, but but it comes secondary. Or or how can you use some of that anticipated rental income? I know you're not a mortgage broker. Yeah, but.
2: yeah. So it's tricky with lenders because they want to see you as like the real estate professional, and a lot of times they want that history, just like a job, um, on the rental side. So on your first one, you kind of have to like just qualify for it on your own. And then once you've showed some rental income on your taxes for like a year or so, then the lenders can start using that for future properties. So if it was my first property, I've, I've struggled finding lenders that allow the buyers to, to use that rental income on the first property. Unless it's like a legal duplex or triplex or something like that, then it's easier to get away with that because that's what that property strictly for. But we have a lot of clients that are just like buying a single family home. And they're able to rent out part of the basement to a relative, like a mother-in-law apartment, or do nightly rentals like Airbnb, and still be okay with like zoning rules and stuff like that. So if it's a legal triplex or duplex or something like that, it's easier to use the rental income. If it's just a single-family house, um, it's harder to use that. But then as you start acquiring more properties, it becomes easier to get those loans when it when you're looked at as a real estate professional and landlord.
0: All right. Let's get, let's get personal real quick. Rex knows about this. Actually, my daughter wants to buy a house and she, she's, she's bucking the trend. Like she just doesn't care what, you know, we all think and we try and give her good advice. So in other words, we, we say she should probably try and qualify on her own, but she's more likely trying to qualify with a friend. Have you seen that work in the past where two people not married friends buy their first house together and use it as, you know, sort of an investment property where they use it as a hack to get into a house, build credit, um, and then rent some of it out. And then, you know, now they're homeowners.
2: Yeah. I haven't seen that a whole lot, but I have, um, last year there were, uh, I think they were cousins and they did that. They bought a triplex Mm. and, the cool thing with real estate, you can set it up to where like you own a share in the property, like 50% and you can actually sell like that, that ownership rights in, in, in the property. So you can do that. Um, and like, that's what we want to see where the markets, like prices have gone up so much and now rates are, have uh, jumped up there. It's, it's like harder for buyers to, To justify the expense, but, but on the other side, rents are going up. So the alternative is they go pay, like I have a brother-in-law right now, a single room in Provo, $800 a month for a Mm, single room. Yeah. And that, I mean, that used to be like a full three bedroom. Well, I mean, you know, I bought my house a while ago, but my house payment's 830. Right. Yeah. It's like, they don't have another option. If somebody is living with family for free, then yeah, that's great. But if they have to pay rent, they might as well, you know, house hack or figure out a way to get into a property with uh and like offset the cost and and that could be you know splitting it with a family member or a friend buying a property with them i think you just have to get creative so
0: all right let's cover a little bit of um definitions here cash flowing and cash flowing a property i'm familiar with it it probably makes sense and most people probably understand what it is but what is it exactly when it comes to real estate what does cash flowing mean
2: yeah, so cash flowing is when you take up all your expenses. You have your mortgage, taxes, insurance, and then your operating expenses. If you have cleaners going through there, i take out utilities, basically everything that's like an operating expense with that property minus the income, and that's your cash flow.
0: Okay, now I have a question that uh, you and, and and Rex and Co. can battle on. <laughs> is it worth it to buy an investment property where your cash flow is under the loan amount. So, uh it's a great house, a great property. Um the mortgage on it is 1500 2000, but you're only bringing in less than that to pay to pay the, the mortgage. Is mm-hmm. it worth it to buy it? Rex, you want to go first?
1: Sure. Um my my answer is most of the time instead of depends. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I think I think as long as the cash flow is not a strain on your finances to where you become cat, you know, house poor, to where if you get an economic downturn or your pay fluctuates, things like that, to where you're you're going to run into difficulty, then then I think it's fine to to be in a, a negative cash flow situation where, kind of like Peyton said on his first house example, where, you know, he's receiving nine hundred dollars in rent and the house payments nine thirty five or nine fifty, you know, at for him at that time what was $50 a month in order to get the equity being bought by somebody else essentially mm-hmm. and so most of the time i i think that's not a huge issue i think that the bigger question is liquidity and can you handle the cash flow if something negative happens in your financial life
2: yeah and i i would add i think it depends on the situation you're in for me it, the alternative was renting in which case, I'm. Um, if I was paying a thousand dollars a month, you know, that's twelve grand a year just towards nothing. Mm-hmm. So another way you could look at it is, like, if it's a house hack scenario, like, what's your principal that you're paying towards the house every month, and is actually buying down the mortgage, and what's the interest part? And as long as the principal part is greater than um, what you would be paying in rent, I think it makes sense for sure. There's so many ways that real estate makes money it's just not like cash flow you have the tax um deductions you have the appreciation the depreciation the principal buy down so there's just so many areas other than that just that one but if i was an investor right now going to buy a property and if it if i had to put a hundred grand down and i was going to lose a hundred dollars a month that that in my mind's a little bit different because i'm not exactly saving money from like uh like a cost of living. But if, if there was a way that you could look at it, for example, the commercial building we just bought it's office space for my real estate office. So we're not necessarily cash flowing right now, but we house hacked it with my real estate brokerage. So we actually have 1500 square feet. Currently it brings in like 4,200 a month. And I think my payments are like 3,200, but then I have to pay like electric, electricity, gas, um, cleaners, just maintenance stuff. So I'm about breaking even, but the alternative is I would be out renting office space somewhere. Right. So I'm actually right. ahead because right. I'm not having to rent office space for my building or, and for my agents. And I'm getting the, the depreciation, the appreciation and the principal buy down. So
0: Dan, I, you've been a financial planner your whole life essentially. And I didn't know this, but you—I guess you have dabbled in some real estate. What's your experience in buying real estate?
4: I've got—I have some fourplexes. Uh, my father-in-law has uh, hundreds of fourplexes and storage units, some commercial property uh, that I'll end up. Uh, Do you say into. hundreds
0: of fourplexes?
4: Yeah, hundreds. Okay. Okay. Um, his net worth—his whole net worth—is is basically real estate. Yeah. So, um, and and it started, you know, 50 years ago by buying raw land that is now Orem, Orem, Utah. So, wow. um, anyway, so it worked really, really well. The key, the key to that whole thing, and and I love my fourplexes. I've I've had them since 2003 and and paid them off, so there's no mortgage payments. It's good income to me now when I retire, and he manages them. His office manages them for me. And keeps them, keeps them completely full, uh, which hasn't been an issue where they are in, in Provo. The, there's a good market there because of the universities. And so it hasn't been a problem. I've seen other situations where the two things that scare me with real estate is, is over leverage, too much leverage, mm-hmm. and a downturn. And, and then having people move out to move to the brand new place across the street that they're doing for $50 less per month. So those are the two things that scare me, but they, uh, having real estate as part of your portfolio or part of your net worth is, is really important, I believe. Everybody, uh, just about everybody I know, the, one of their biggest assets is their home, you know, uh, because they might've bought it 10 years ago or 20 or 25 years ago and, and the value of their home is up substantially. And so these are all good discussions to have. And it, it comes down to it comes down to making sure you're well diversified. You don't want to have I, I there was times uh, during 07, 08, I was concerned for my father-in-law. He didn't have a lot of debt, uh, but there were people moving out and he couldn't re-rent them. And then he'd had to drop some rents. And, and I know I remember during the early 80s when interest rates were in the teens and and it was a really scary time with inflation where it was for people that own some real estate. So it's good to have, it's good to have part as part of your portfolio, just like a good equity portfolio is good to have uh, and some fixed income and obviously cash. So hmm. it, it's just good to have a part of, of what your overall net worth is.
0: Yeah. My grandpa always said, and it's not a, it's not an original line, but you know, buy land, they're not making any more of it. He also told me I should learn to play golf and I never learned how to to do that either. But, um, and I really haven't bought a lot of land, but I think that's phenomenal advice. Should I have listened to him? Uh, so Peyton, how much land do you buy or are you you invested in, in land or raw land or what type of an investment is that? And how is it different than owning doors?
2: So I don't do a whole lot with land. My family, my dad's actually a developer and he loves raw land. Um, for me, land's way more risky just in the fact that if you're going to buy land, it it takes like people either pay cash or like 50% or more to get a loan on it. And then if you do get a loan, like you could put cows on it or like graze it or something, but it doesn't really produce income a whole lot. So it's kind of something you just have to throw money at it and you're banking on it on appreciation. So it's definitely more of a specu- speculative um, investment, mm-hmm. but Like the people that have been able to buy land and just sit on it in up and coming areas have just crushed it. So I think it's a great investment. It just depends on what stage you're at in your investment journey. If you're looking for cash flow and like that monthly paycheck, then it's probably not the best the best uh, one for you. But if you have the extra cash and, you know, you want some farmland for you and your kids to enjoy right now or put some cows on it and stuff, then I think it's great place to put money and like just wait and watch it grow. But it's not like a a moneymaker unless you can develop it or put trailers on it or something. like. Yeah.
0: And I bet everyone has a similar story to this, too, where. My, my other grandpa, who died in his 90s about 10 years ago, so it was a really long time ago, was offered land in the Nevada desert at a discounted price and turned it down because he said no one wants to live there. And it is now, the story goes, the home of the new strip of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And so had he purchased and held or whatever, it would have been worth something. So I guess you never know when it comes to raw land. Honestly, but what, but at the same
3: time, I've, I've, I've run across people who have, you know, we're offered, you know, an obscure strip of land in, in the Nevada desert and they bought it and it's like literally middle of nowhere. There's not even a road to access it. Yeah, right? And, and yeah. it's just like, and I was like, why did you do that? Like, ah, it feels good to be a landowner. I'm like, okay, well, you know, and I think that's the distinction, right? Like, are you buying land to, to go camping on and enjoy and you recognize it's going to just be, there's going to be a cost to it. That's fine, right? As long as the rest of your plan is solvent. Um, or is it is it an investment? Is it speculative? Or do we think that it's going to be the next Las Vegas or the next Orem, Utah? And and so I think being really clear on what your expectation is for the land is is really important.
0: Sounds good. Um, let's get into details on the numbers. Like what do I need to do to to buy houses? What's the down payment and stuff like that? But first, Brandon, do you have some more numbers?
3: Yeah, you bet. I thought this was really interesting. JP Morgan did, did kind of a, I don't know what you'd call research piece on, on the stock market. And obviously we're seeing a lot of market volatility right now. And and what they did, they actually went back to 1971, you know, until today and they picked out the eight sentiment peaks, right? So you've got a, a, a consumer confidence index, right? Which essentially says, how are people feeling about their future, the financial future, the markets, and, and it's probably no surprise that, that that goes up and down, right? Sometimes people feel great. They're like, hey, sell everything, put in the, in the stock market. We're going to make 20% per year. Other times people are saying, hey, sell everything. The world's coming to an end. And so what JP Morgan did is they took those eight sentiment peaks and then they tracked the 12-month rate of return following those peaks. And, and the average rate of return on those eight sentiment peaks was 4.1%. Mm. So not like terrible, but not, a, not amazing by mm. stock market standards. Then they went and picked the eight sentiment bottoms, right? That when people were selling out, we're talking bottom of 2008, we're talking like now, right? These type of when people are really panicky and then followed the following 12 months. And it averaged 24.9% over the following 12 months. And, and I think, it, you know, it's age old, right? Buy when there's blood in the streets, right? Like when, when everything looks like it's its worst, that's the time to buy the stock market. And yet, as human nature, it's so difficult to do that, right? Everyone is calling. And right now, even good investors are like, okay, we're, we're going to make it through this. We've been through this before. But they're not comfortable very rarely in this market we get them but not very often do we get people calling saying hey it's crazy stuff happening i want to put money in the market you know and 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 so it's important to kind of remember those things i think
0: rex they're not sorry rex they're not they're not calling you yet and saying bye 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 (laughs)
1: no we they're 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 not calling and saying bye 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 there's still a lot of uncertainty out there we are getting it's october
0: 27 2022 just for a date reference and uh you know i watch the financial news on the daily and some of them are like, oh, i picking up some here and there, you know, because I think they're seeing a, an after the midterm uh, rally or something. But I, I was just curious if you're getting any phone calls. Of, we I'm like, all we right, get a few roll.
1: panicky calls here and there. And okay. so still with with all the uncertainty, I I am a little bit curious, Brandon, on um, kind of a, a spin on your your question to Peyton and bringing back your your daughter's question. But, you know, I, I don't know if anybody on this call knows this, but I have a couple of kids. And
0: uh, <laughs> he has 107 kids, as far as we tell. <laughs>
1: so, but uh, you know, I'm I'm getting asked. I'm sure you're getting asked, Brandon and Peyton. You probably get asked an awful lot. But with with house prices where they're at, and I know they're coming down just a little bit, um, but interest rates are up, making the payments you know tougher. And and wages haven't quite kept up with that. It seems like the difficulty to getting into your first house is getting more and more difficult as far as being able to provide the proof of income and showing that you make enough so that the banks and the financial institutions will loan to you on that loan to value rate. And so I'd love to know kind of your top house hacks, if you will, for people, you know, for the younger generation, those who are kind of in their 20s and things like that, trying to get into their first house, uh, different ways to, to do that or to structure that to try and get into your first home. And, and kind of how you, do you partner with somebody? Do you just have to kind of buckle down and, and wait until prices come down? Do you go into manufactured homes or mobile homes or, 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 what do you do? And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, no, if you're in your twenties and you're renting or you're trying to figure out like a place for you to park and settle down and raise a family, Definitely the best place to go is, is real estate, in my opinion. I mean, the alternative is you rent. And at the end of the, at the end of the day, renting is just, you're just giving money to somebody else. Like there's no, no return. It's not going anywhere. It's not paying anything down. You don't have that sense of ownership. So I'm a huge proponent of buying real estate and just getting in. Um, I think if, if, if you're 20 and you're like, oh, we might be in Utah for a year or two and and you have like a short perspective i don't know how aggressive i would say jump in right now when you could be moving in 6 months to a year it's definitely more of a longer term relationship that you're going to have with this house especially in the market conditions that we're in but if if your your answer is yes we're going to be here for a while or or even if you're not, um, like my brother-in-law just bought a house and he's the one looking for rentals down in Provo and he's actually put a renter in the basement and a renter upstairs and he's renting that out now. And it's been like about a year now and he's already out and it's cash flowing. Not a lot, but it's cash flowing. And he, and he bought it when the market was even hotter. Rates were, rates were a little less then, but prices were even higher. So sorry, go ahead. I, you think th- I think
1: there's, I think there's a lot of, a lot of people that, well, there's some that are making that 60, 80, hundred thousand dollars in, in their twenties that, that can get the financing. But I'm curious about those that are, you know, making 35, 40, 45, 50, you know, how do they get started on that first property?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, when I bought my first house, I just got home from an LDS mission. I was making 11 bucks an hour and nobody would lend me any money. And um, I was it the mission? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't figured it out yet, <laughs> but I was able to find a house. There's something called seller financing, and it's where the seller acts as the bank. And I got creative and found a seller. I mean, this was 2014 and homes weren't moving that fast. And I was like, hey, I got seven grand. I I could put down, like I didn't have a bunch of cash. I had some and the house was, it was 180, 89,000, almost 200,000. And back then that felt a lot for me. And that Mm -hmm. was a lot like that was, that was definitely like a higher priced home, but it was in Logan, right by Utah state. It was 3,300 square feet. And uh, we worked out a deal where they seller financed it to me Mm -hmm. and I made payments to them. And then in a few years, I can't remember. I, I did a refinance and they got paid out. So there's definitely ways in this market, like everybody's like last year and like in, in the past, they're waiting for the market to drop or waiting for it to be a buyer's market. We're starting to see that now. Yeah. And it's like when there's blood in the streets, that, that's when you want to get in. You just have to be smart because nobody knows exactly what this market's going to do. But I mean, tomorrow the Fed could drop the rate down and then, have this whole influx of buyers and prices they'll get crazy again and we have the whole inflation thing and things just aren't getting cheaper um i
0: I can tell you what not to do uh well (laughs) (laughs) well two things one the 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 seller carry or whatever is fantastic yeah and i see more people do offering that now because people will have a low rate Mm-hmm. on there. Uh, and then what's it called when they just take over the loan payments, yeah, essentially?
2: It's, it's a wrap. basically. Yeah, Yeah, a wrap. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So that's a killer hack right now is yeah. to do that, because then you get in, you're making payments on what the a current owner has, even mm-hmm. though they sell it to you. And then now you take over the home at their payments, yep. um, which is interesting. Mm-hmm.
2: So uh, on that note, yeah. I had an agent in my office. He's like, man, I can't get qualified. And I was like, let's just look at seller finance in Utah. And in Utah, there was like 250 homes active on the market today that put in their terms. They're willing to work with seller financing. Mm. That's awesome. 250. So I bought, but this is
0: prior to the 2008 crash and I was dabbling in real estate at a fourplex, a duplex, and a single family that I had did a flip on. And one of those, and I don't remember which one, I was able to buy with my, a down payment with my mom's credit card. (laughs)
2: Yeah
0: how is that even possible that should never happen and then 2008 happened and then we realized like that, that so, that's why that happened that's why that happened. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i paid i mean i made all the payments and it was fine but i'm like they needed like 10 grand or something and i'm uh, i don't have that but my mom's credit card does and so prior to the 2008 crash they were accepting wild uh down payments and mm-hmm. so now in 2022 what do you need for a down payment on an investment property
2: investment property if you're going to live in it i mean it's it's owner occupied so fannie and freddie will lend up to four units i believe and you can do you know next to nothing down 0 to 5% most people are around like 3 to 5% down if you're an investor and you're buying just a single family house it's like 15 to 20% if you're going into to multifamily you're going to be 20 to 25% but if you go into the commercial loans then they get like anything goes out there but typically commercial stuff you're still 10 to 25 percent
1: when you say four to five units that freddie or fanny will will loan on describe that what does that mean
2: so that you could buy a fourplex and and this is what like if, if and I'm working, live in it and live in one of the units and it's huge okay. because they can get into a fourplex that if you or, or i were trying you know, wanted to go buy, we'd have to put 25% down. They can get in for 5% down. Mm-hmm. It's huge. And then not only that, then they have three other units making payments, you know, towards the property. And so they might not be cash flowing then, but if you give it time, it's like, when is the best time to buy real estate? Well, when's the best time to plant a tree? It's, it's yesterday. The second best time is now because every deal I've ever bought, I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know. Like, the numbers are, are okay. Like I'm never like, oh, this is a home run. I mean, there's been a few that I'm like, have zero fear, but it's a scary purchase. But once you buy a piece of property and then you have it for a year, two years, three years, eight years, like they just keep getting better and better.
0: So if you buy a fourplex, do you have to qualify on the total loan amount without any rental income or can you use the rental income that doesn't exist yet to qualify?
2: Yeah. So on the fourplex, you could use the other the other units to qualify because it's it's a legal multifamily house. Okay.
0: So what happens if you have no renters and you can't pay? the full like that's what you know what i mean yeah shouldn't you be able to cover the full in case all the renters move out and which is what dan was talking about the scary part was when people all the renters leave
2: yeah that that doesn't happen very often like in we we have 21 rentals right now and we've had very 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 few vacancies and we've been doing it for like eight or nine years now
1: okay so
2: it it does seem like that there's
1: just about every decade that and not every decade, but just about every decade, there's a time or a a, a set of facts and circumstances that make that uh, extremely can, can be extremely risky. Whether it's 2008 of, mm-hmm. of that decade, whether it's 91 um, through 94 of the savings and loan failures, and 94 when they raised rates, you know, so many times in 94, whether it's 87 or or 84 with the high interest rate you know, the high vacancies in the rental properties. And so it seems like you can go to just about every decade. And there's a period of time in each decade that's that's typically extremely risky. I think that we're just getting through a decade where that wasn't really the case. And I think that that is the anomaly. And I think that that can be a concern to where we get lulled to sleep by the anomaly and, and don't, you know, and then start discounting that risk is not kind of being the norm where I think historically it is more the norm than not on that. And so I want to make sure I mention that.
2: No, I would, I would agree in my, my real estate career. Like I jumped in in 2013, 14. So like I'm a fair weathered real estate agent. I haven't lived through like a 2008, so you definitely need. It's to good be- times. You should try it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> don't do <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing it. Like
4: uh, it was a laugh a minute. I'll tell you. It yeah,
2: a- <laughs> I lost all mine. So there's that. <laughs> I'm yeah, getting
4: in the stomach every single morning.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. So for me, I think you definitely have to be smart about it. You don't want to over leverage. I-, I think rentals, like as long as you're still able to make some of those payments like you definitely don't want to over leverage at this time like we have a lot of equity in our properties right now and i haven't pulled anything out because and i i have other people that are and it's like maybe i could get so much further ahead by doing that but it it's definitely better to play it safe than than to not but in my in my eyes if somebody's going to go out and buy a five hundred thousand dollar house as their first house why not have a mother-in-law apartment in the basement yeah. they could qualify for it anyways without but i'm seeing people bring in like 2500 3 grand a month off of you know an airbnb in the basement or you know a mother-in-law apartment in the basement and that can be life-changing for some some people it might not cover all of their expenses but it's it's better than you know them having no other options or alternatives should the market shift should they lose their job or if they just want that extra income. So.
0: All right, Peyton, what do you look for in a good investment property? They say you make your money or you make the the, the deal on the purchase, right? So what do you look for in a good investment property?
2: So oh, that's a, that's a loaded question because everybody has different wants, needs, um, family situations. If I'm an investor, I'm just looking at the numbers and how can I add more value to this property? I love that, uh, the hairy meth houses that nobody wants and like our full guts and like we just go in there and, and replace everything. Like I, I like that stuff. But when you say
0: people, we are, you do, do you do a lot of the work yourself? Um, do you contract out?
2: No, we contract a lot of it out. Okay. Um, but I, I, I have my general contractor's license as well. Back before I sold real estate, I was a framer and my dad's a general contractor. So I've done a lot of construction. It, it really depends on what skills that buyer investor has, you know, are they uh, a first time home buyer just looking for a, a good property to get into that they can convert and turn over into a rental? The biggest things for me is the location. And is that going to be in a good location in the coming years? Because should the market shift and we, we you know, we go into a recession and, you know, we might already be in that um, depending on who you ask, but it's going to be easier to sell those properties that are in good areas and neighborhoods like those that value is not necessarily going to go away so in ogden right now like i shut a property this week and it was like right next to campus like that's a good location Mm. it's great so um there's there's areas location's a big one and then just the property is it going to need a lot of upkeep and work like or, or is it you know updated and New roof, new furnace, AC—you know—all those things. Just a few things to look at.
1: Let me ask you a quick question if I can, Brandon. So let yeah. me ask both yeah. Peyton and Dan this because I was having a conversation with a with a client about this just earlier this week. But I've heard frequently that on on rentals that you should try and get a a cash flow to property value of around four to six percent. And so, as as an example. If you had a half million dollar property, then a 5% cash flow to value would be 25,000 a year of rental income or just over, you know, 2000 a month kind of thing on, on rental income. Do you have a target like that? Or Dan, do you, do you have a feeling like that through kind of your experience and history as to kind of what you look for as you're looking at new rental properties, either one of you? I'm
4: just looking, Rex, as you say that, mine is about 13%, I guess, my cash flow.
1: Um, on the on, on the the four plexes? On a couple
4: of four plexes. yeah. I, I think that's right. I think I figured that right. Like Peyton said, it, the, the location is really important. Uh, I think it's really important. The neighborhood is really important. Um, how much you're able to put down and how much equity you're able to build is really important. When we first built these four plexes, it was in an area that a cul-de-sac that that was not the greatest part of town, but but it had a lot of great potential. Uh, tracks was going in uh, uh, in a few years, and there's a stop there pretty close, and so it, it worked out really well for us as far as the the, the fourplexes I'm I'm thinking about. But it's it's so important that you just don't don't over especially going into the uncertain times like we have right now. I just remember how gut wrenching it is when you are sitting there looking at a fourplex and two of your people say, you know what, I'm moving back in with my parents. And so you've got one empty. And now you've got a second one empty. And all of a sudden your payment that you were getting or the rental payments that you were getting that were covering your mortgage with no problem. Uh, you're trying to find renters. You have to decide whether to lower the rent and, 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 and you compare yourself against other properties, it just gets, it gets dangerous. If you're over leveraged, if you're not over leveraged, you can wait it out. And, and that's the key. That's the key. I think. So
2: so for me, um, a good number, I beginning, I was always looking at this was it's called the 1% rule. And if, if you're going to buy, you want 1% of the property's value and monthly rent, if you can get that, you're doing pretty good. So, if you're buying a $500,000 property if you could get 5 grand a month like that's that's awesome but those don't really exist anymore <laughs> so you have to you have to get creative um yeah our first property like we bought a fourplex in South Ogden for 240,000 and like that was one of those ones I'm like this is a no-brainer the rents were 600 bucks a unit so it didn't quite or we, Actually, it was like that that 1% rule. But but right now, those numbers are just so hard to hit. Um, another one that I look at is like your cash on cash return. So like what's the return you're getting off of the cash that you're sinking into this? And and that could be your down payment, like just all your costs to get that property up and running. What's going to be your rate of return on, on that cash? Because you want to put it to work. You want it to go somewhere um, that it's going to work for you and bring back a return. And so that, that's a number I also look at.
0: Rex, you might know this, this person, we got a question. Uh, if you try to get a mortgage loan, but you only have five to 7% to put down, would it be better to go for a conventional loan or an FHA from Baxter? I'm assuming that's on your, your first home.
1: Yeah, that would, that I'm sure that that would
2: be his question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so your thoughts me. on that. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, anything, if, if you have five to 7% down, that's conventional. Okay. Um, if, if you're less than 5%, that kind of puts you in the FHA realm, but typically conventional is a little bit more favorable if you, um, have, you know, five plus percent to put down.
0: Okay. Well, I, I like Instagram. Um, and I think I mentioned this on the previous episode that I've seen people, real estate professionals. I have no idea if they are in real life, but on Instagram, say, oh, put the least amount down as possible and let you know and leverage your cash flow. Mm-hmm. I guess so. Yeah. uh, Rex, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, put more money down, less money down, and then I'll, I want to get Payton's thought on that as well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my my opinion is like to, to echo Dan and 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 Payton that. Uh, you know, leverage is a dangerous thing, and so if you're if you're going to lever up as high as you can, then then that can be dangerous, especially if you don't have the cash flow on the side or it's coming in from a secondary source to to cover to cover those payments. I think if you have an extremely high risk tolerance, and the the fluctuations of of the real estate market, and the fluctuations in your in the rental income, whether they're rented out the units or, or the bedrooms or whatever the case may be, if if that's not an issue for you, then then I think you can take on a little bit more risk. But I do think that that can be a very dangerous thing, and I and I think that people kind of talk themselves into that more times than not. And it's it's interesting because two of the things I find really interesting on on real estate is is one, real estate prices aren't shoved in front of your face every minute of every day, like the stock market is, right? You can look up and see what Apple is trading at any time of the day, whether you're up, down, whether you made money, you lost money, uh, or, or any other stock that's out there. And, and so I think that's one thing that's different about real estate is it hides the fluctuations of the, of the real estate market. The other thing that I think is is interesting about real estate is leverage, is if somebody were to lever up a stock portfolio to the rate of ninety-seven percent or something, would they make money over time? Very possibly, and and they could, you know, during a bull market, they could make a lot of money. During a bear market, they would they would lose their shirt. And depending upon how you're invested, you could actually go backwards and and you know end up bankrupt or something like that. And and yet in real estate, it's interesting because people don't view that as the same risk and and the psychology of that has always been extremely interesting to me that people are very comfortable leveraging up real estate, but nowhere else in their life are they very comfortable levering up anything. And which just makes me think that they're, they're not fully understanding the amount of risk that they're taking on that real estate. That if they really understood the amount of risk that they're taking, they probably wouldn't do it. So that, that's my two cents
2: on that. No, that's a good take so if you have extra cash should you put it towards the loan or save it and i think back when rates were like three percent everybody was like hey just keep that because you can go you know invest make a difference yeah invest yeah. a difference and make more money elsewhere now that rates are you know seven ish percent like you're definitely going to see that that help in in the payment by by putting that extra money down but i think i think it depending on the situation like you definitely real estate is An investment where you need reserves you need to have reserves for if the furnace goes out if you need a new roof um if you have a tenant that's uh, not paying rent like you just you need some reserves it's not it's not a game or a space you want to get into where you don't have reserves so i think it's important to have some reserves and then another thing that i have clients look into is could that money be used as like capital improvements into the property say there was a a space in the basement where you could add an extra bedroom or bathroom or even a kitchen down there and then kind of like split it up and make it into two units instead of one in that case like you could almost double your uh, monthly rent by doing that and i would say it'd be better to go towards the property and improving it and fixing it up than to paying down the mortgage so i think depending on the property and the situation of the person, you just have to be smart about it. The the more, the better, like the less leverage you can have on things. I'm always a huge proponent of um, we, we bought our primary house. I remember I was planning on only putting down like minimal, but the lender came back to me and was like, Hey, if you do 20%, um, I can bump your rate down. It was like pretty significant, almost like a percent it felt like, and you don't have mortgage insurance. And so I'm like, Oh yeah, it's like, it's a lot more money, but we had it at that time. And for me, it just like, I'm like, yeah, that's a no brainer. Like the rate becomes more favorable. My payments will be become a lot less and, um, I have no mortgage insurance. So yeah, it just depending on the deal and the situation, you just have to look at all aspects and be like, where, where's the best place to put this money to use. And then always make sure you have those reserves. Cause that's where people get into, into trouble is when they go into this game of real estate and they don't have any financial backing or reserves to cover those unexpected emergencies. And they always come like it, it, it's real estate. And that's, that's the pros and a con of real estate. Like it's physical, like you can go work on it and fix it. And that's why I like it. Cause I have that construction experience. Like nothing really scares me. If like the main waterline breaks, great. We'll get a, you know, a track go out there, dig it up and, and fix it. Like, a lot of those things, I could, if I if I had to, I could hire somebody and pay twenty grand to have it done, or we could. Um, I have the connections, and we could have it done for for a lot cheaper than that. So I I like that, but I have those skills and that background to where where I can do that, and that's that's the difference for me with real estate. Like I can actually touch it and like fix it up, and yeah. like I have way more control over it versus the stock market. But it's also a downside for some people because like. It can involve some heavy, hefty purchases like a new roof. Like that's yeah. that's a big investment. So you just have to yeah. be aware of that. I appreciate the honesty there because it feels like some of the social
0: influencers make it seem like real estate's pretty easy, and you just jump in and right. It's it, you know you just go at it or whatever, and the money money starts and the money flowing starts in. flowing in, yeah. Box money. Um, you know you can get lucky, I guess, but you know it's not. A, I I learned how to evict people, and that's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Uh, but we got to bump out of here. Uh, I, we could talk about real estate for for months, uh, I think, at a time. So we probably need to invite you back, Peyton. But before we go,
1: or or Peyton, you could start your own podcast, and then we do all follow you. <laughs> I'll
0: follow you guys. You follow me. Good idea. Good idea. Uh, I do want to know. I have this. I've I've had a dream. I got a dream. Okay, and that and this is one I can't afford. That's why it's a dream. But. uh, you know, it's a great idea because we here live in Utah and I'm like, I want to buy houses in places where I want to vacation. Mm-hmm. So California, Florida, uh, the Pacific Northwest, maybe. So what are your thoughts on buying investment properties out of state and how much harder is it? You have to put the full 2025 20, down. Like, what are we looking at here?
2: Yeah. So there's second home loans that you can do for less. Um, those ones, I think you're like 10% down um, and you just have to, you can use it for a percentage of the time. There's like a, a split difference where you use it and and it could be rented out um, or it's an investment loan. There's a great book by David Green called Long, Cor- Long Distance Real Estate Investing. David Green, Long Distance Real Estate Investing. A good book that goes over all that. I haven't been able to break into that niche because like that takes away everything I like about real estate away from me, like the hands-on being able to check it out. Like it's just, I've, I've had friends and know people who have done it and they've like, yeah, I own a property out there and never have seen it. But like, I feel like it's just so much easier to get taken advantage of. Um, for example, this week we had a, a tenant said, Hey, the water heater's leaking go over there. And it's, uh, like the faucet in the tubs dripping. And I'm like, this, this is different than the water heater. <laughs> so yeah, like, it's not I, the same thing. <laughs> I like, I like that, like just being close. Um, and I've had clients, uh, like we live in Eden and a lot of people have second homes there and watching them go through, like just the, the managing a property from a distance can be hard unless you have the right team. So if you can find the right team to buy a property in a different area that you love, I think go for it and I've thought about that a lot. Like, Oh, I like going to Costa Rica and we just went to Puerto Rico. Like, it'd be cool to own properties all over these different areas, but that's like a mini business in every one of those areas. You got to have all the contacts, property manager, like it just, it brings on so much more like work and just a lot of
1: complexities.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Versus, Hey, I'll build uh, a network of, you know a portfolio here in Utah, and then I can use you know the cash flow and the income to travel and rent an Airbnb in Puerto Rico or whatever. I, I like that route, but like there is the argument of hey, Utah is on this massive fault line, so like a big earthquake comes and all my properties tumble to the ground. Like then what? So uh, you just like it's good to like diversify and maybe I could go into Idaho or somewhere a little bit closer somewhere like within a few hours drive. Mm -hmm. So I'm not like so far away, but yeah, that's my two cents. I'm, I haven't really broke into it. There's people that have, I think investing in areas that, you know, like it, it just makes it so much easier to build a team and like get that business up and going.
0: And if you want to get started, you should probably use someone who knows what they're doing.
2: Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, I used a professional uh, as a real estate agent. I was a mortgage officer at the time, and of course, mortgage loan officers know all the realtors. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I was lucky to find a, an, an agent who had some investment properties himself and was able to help walk me through that. So, Payton, how do we get a hold of you if you want to use your services?
2: Yeah, Payton at Life dot com, or you can go to our website, Life elevated Real Estate. Dot com so awesome same as equities use a financial planner
0: don't try and do it yourself rex rex does it <laughs> there himself. rex is the only one here that can do it all by himself but dan actually asks us for advice and he's you know lifelong in the industry so you're never too old to ask for advice with your portfolio right rex
1: totally never yeah totally true
0: uh, all right, uh, com for more information on how to invest in the equities. Thanks, Rex. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. All right. This has been Through the Pines, reminding you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams.